Money Roots is made possible by the support of our sponsor, Rooted Planning Group. Are you ready to take control of your financial future? Look no further than Rooted Planning Group, your trusted partner in financial well-being. At www.rootedpg.com, you'll discover a wealth of resources and expertise to help you thrive financially. Rooted Planning Group specializes in personalized financial planning, investment management, and retirement strategies. They understand that every financial journey is unique, and they're here to guide you every step of the way. With a team of experienced advisors, Rooted Planning Group is committed to helping you cultivate a secure and prosperous future. Visit www.rootedpg.com today to learn more about how Rooted Planning Group can help you grow your money roots. Today's episode of Wine and Dime is sponsored by Rooted Planning Group, a fee-only financial planning firm that believes life is about events, supported by your dollars and cents. And we want to help you achieve your goals. Hop on over to www.rootedpg.com to learn more about the services. Every week, it's my goal to share financial information that helps you in both your life and financial vineyard. We hope it takes you from your roots to the journey of your vines and the influences in the air that have helped craft your delicious life. Like wine, life and finances have different palates that should be celebrated and not judged. Welcome, Wine and Dime listeners, to this episode with a special guest, Kate Welker. Kate, welcome back to the show. Hey, Amy. It's nice to be back on the show again. It has been a while. We've been in the thick of the wondrous tax season at Rooted Planning Group, and I know you've had your head down and been focused on uh, client meetings and tax discussions the first part of this year, but as we're recording it, it, this is actually March 30th as we're we're recording. It won't be released until mid-April, but we're almost there. We're almost the push. <laughs> it's always a, like the light at the end of the tunnel season of, um, you know, questions and projections and planning it gets a little more intense for the next couple of weeks. And then there's a little uh, little sigh of relief. <laughs> I like how you like use the word intense. Intense. <laughs> it's so funny when I was putting together the list of wines, um, as many listeners may recall, I have been traveling with my taste buds and I was featuring wines from Oregon uh, over the past couple of, of weeks. Mm-hmm. And um, the winery in particular that I've been featuring is Pudding River. That was one of the wineries that we went to uh, when we were out in Oregon last year. And I thought, oh, let's go out with a bang with a port style Shiraz dessert wine. Now, (laughs) port is a sipper, right? Port is one of those wines that's a super sipper. You don't, it doesn't require a lot. It's got a ton of flavor. It's super sweet. It's definitely what I would consider a dessert wine. This particular wine, uh, we should, I should get you some and to have to celebrate after <laughs> April 18th. It's actually from the Walla Walla region or Walla Walla Valley region. And uh, when we were out there, we had just a tiny little bit of it. And I was like, whoo, that's a nice little kick. It's, it's a nice, and it's a good winter wine. You know, I would say it's a good sipper, but I'll and to- it's still winter here. It is spring, but it is still winter here. I am looking out upon um, frost and a little bit of snow on the ground this morning. Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> So, speaking of head down, 
final push. Uh, you know, we're in that final stage as this podcast will come out. We'll literally be in the last week of tax season. One of the things that I thought, as you recall, I've been doing a series on um, breaking down the 1040. Yep. And I wanted to save this part for the last because it seems like so this is part five. If you haven't listened to the other four parts, which was basically breaking down the front side of the 1040, the what we call the back side um, and front side, the difference between the two we did in part two, schedule one, which is your adjustments, pluses and minuses to income. Then we did schedule two, which is your additional taxes. We followed that by schedule three, which is additional credits and payments. And so today I thought we would focus on the the small business acts uh, aspect of um, tax season. And Kate, you and I work with a lot of small businesses. That's one of our, um, what I've learned is a term to be zone of genius. This is a new term for me, zone oh, of genius. Okay. Uh, Zog, they're calling it. This is this fun terminology for me. You know, the financial planners, we love acronyms. We love right? acronyms. Yes, I like that one. <laughs> so you can't just genius. say zone of genius. You have to say it's our Zog. <laughs> so, All right. I didn't realize that this was a Zog for us, but I've recently learned that if you take a step back and look at the clients that you work with and the commonality of it, well, I, you know, we have a lot of clients that have a small business similar to you and I. We're running our own small business, right? So. I think that attracts that kind of particular client, especially women. And so um, I thought it would be good for us to sort of dig into that, starting with some basic terminology. We get a lot of questions about what tax forms need to be filed if they're a small business. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to kind of let people hear me talk all the time. I I thought I'd let you sort of explain to clients what the difference is between filing a Schedule C, filing uh, for an S-Corp. You know, what are some of those differences just on a basic level? Yeah, absolutely. This is, as you said, a really big question we hear. And I think people don't always understand the, the tax implications that follow your business decisions. So it's always good to start out knowing exactly what you're expected to be doing when it comes to tax time if you are opening a business. So the most simple form of business ownership is a sole proprietorship. This is when you start a business, you have not done any additional legal steps to make yourself an, an LLC. You have not um, filed as a corporation. You're just opening a business. You probably have a DBA. You might have filed with a county. Um, and the next step up from that would be someone that files as an, does have an LLC, but they're still just a single owner, sole proprietor, no elections. If that is your case, you're going to file something called a Schedule C with your personal tax return. It's an additional schedule. It's sort of like a mini business tax return that flows through to your personal tax return. A lot of times people start a business and um, will say like, hey, I was talking to my accountant and they didn't file for my business yet. I'm like, well, it's on your return. They just don't realize there's it's all together in one situation. And that profit at the end carries over. It flows to your personal return, just like if you had a, like a job or something. Um, another big impact is that is the, that bottom line number does have an extra tax. It's that self-employment tax piece that gets taxed on the end of your tax return. And that but that is how you would file. Um, if you were still kind of a small business, but you had a business partner, you could file, you'd have to file a partnership return and that is called a form 1065. And that one is actually a separate tax return. You file a separate tax return and it will generate a K-1 for each of you with the profit. And that's going to get reported. Again, these are all pass-through. Um, pass-through means it passes from the business to you uh, as a person, an individual <laughs> on your tax return. So you'd add that to your income. And again, partnerships are still subject to that self-employment tax. 
uh, the next level someone could file as an S corporation. I think we probably, Amy, could do a whole two-hour podcast on an S corporation. So I will try to make it very uh, brief. (laughs) Um, So if you are set up as an LLC, you can actually elect to be taxed as an S corporation. You don't have to actually form an S corporation. It's an interesting little, um, I don't know if it's a loophole, a technique you could take advantage of. So some small business owners that have an LLC will elect to be taxed as an S corporation and then they file again a separate tax return. This one's called an 1120S. And the same thing, you'll file this return for your business and then it'll generate a K-1 that's going to pass back through to your personal return. The benefit, the potential tax benefit is that those earnings are not subject to self-employment tax, but you have to give yourself a W-2. Like you have to have payroll set up, be issuing wages. So there's still some payroll taxes being paid. And just a little, I mean, one little side note, because people hear that that final statement you just made and they're like, oh, well, I won't pay myself very much. It has to be reasonable compensation. And that's something that we really work with our clients on to find out well, what would be a reasonable compensation for somebody who is doing your job? You know, what mm-hmm. would you need to pay yourself? I mean, the, the basic, you know, there's two pieces to being a business owner, right? One is the fact that you took the risk and you're an entrepreneur and you've reinvested into the business and you're getting a dividend. And really, that's what the K-1 part is, right? It's the payback for you reinvesting into the business. It's a distribution from the business to you for starting the business. And then there is the I'm in the business doing the work part, which is the W-2 piece. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that the benefit of not switching because um, people that are an LLC can still file a Schedule C, as you mentioned, and that's considered a disregarded entity. In some states, you have to file like a, an additional tax document mm-hmm. for that disregarded entity. But the benefit of being taxed like an S-Corp is you also do have the, you know, you have all the other things that can go along with being a W-2 employee. You have when it comes to like lending and stuff like that. Like that's one of the benefits that I see of having a W-2 compensation is that it, it does, when you're a Schedule C only business, you are looked at very differently than if you are a W-2 employee. And so having that, electing to be taxed as an S-Corp has the benefit of some of those kinds of things. And if you're deferring, you know, if you have like a simple IRA or a 401k and you have employees, you also can participate in those plans just like the employees can. So there are there are pros and cons to both sides. Um, if you're just a sole proprietor, it typically doesn't make that much sense. Sometimes it still makes sense to be an S-Corp or make the S-Corp election, but Again, you have to do the math on that and make sure that it okay. makes sense because those are, you know, we we always say we want to we want to follow the rules that the IRS gives us, you know, mm-hmm. um, and and we truly feel that it's important to to make sure that we're being reasonable in any of the recommendations that we're making. So I just want to caveat that because a lot of people hear that final part and think, oh, well, I'll just take a distribution and I'll never have to pay Social Security or Medicare connects. Not going to fly. Just FYI. it will not fly, and it is also a um, hot topic, so to speak, with the IRS right now. It's a really easy. It's a really easy thing to track because there's a paper. You don't know, have to file payroll forms. They can match it up to see oh, you have an S corp. Are you filing payroll quarterly payroll returns? Right. Um, and if not, questions will start to follow that. Yep. And we, you know, we like to stay. We like to make sure. What I, what I always say is, we want to pay our fair share. I just only want to pay my fair share. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so. I, yeah. 
thinking about whether it's a schedule C or the 1120S, the the information is basically the same. So if we're thinking about income, you know, what is income? And I know that sounds like a crazy question, but (laughs) what is income? If you think about what the form looks like, going right down through the form, I mean, it gross sales receipts, right? Obviously, that's Mm -hmm. income. Yeah. So beyond that income, as you just said, the form says gross receipts or sales. Any payment you receive for goods or services that you might provide. So goods could be selling an item if you had a retail type business. Um, services is if you are in line as a either professional or as any service provider. Anything that you're doing for somebody that they're going to pay you for is income. You could also have some off one off categories. Maybe you earn some interest as a business. That's part of your income too because the, it is income that came into the business. To get real, if you were going to get real technical, bartering actually is income too. Mm -hmm. If you're exchanging your services um, for another service, there's a whole separate tax form for that, but it is income as well. But um, I just kind of like to leave it broad as if you got paid to do something in your line of work, it's income. Or if it's even tangential to what you're doing and it's not covered by any other tax forms, it's income for your business. And then thinking about, I mean, some companies, if they're that retail supply company or something like that, they might have returns or allowances for bad um, product spoilage or something like that. Right. So off from the income, they could take some of that away from it. Yeah. And then. Costs of goods sold. This is one that is actually very confusing to a lot of people. So this is still under the income line. And a lot of people think of cost of goods sold. Well, that's an expense. And it is. (laughs) But in determining the gross income, we actually have to take off costs of goods sold from the income line. Talk a little bit about cost of goods sold, because I think some people think, oh, well, I'm a service business. I don't have any cost of goods sold, but that's not entirely true. Sometimes there, yeah, sometimes there could be. So when cost of goods sold, we're typically looking at any purchases you're making that kind of are required for your business. And I'm I'm going to use a retail example for most of this because it's, I think it's the easiest to grasp. Mm-hmm. But to look at cost of goods sold, we're looking at what did it cost you to generate that income? So on um, an item, if you're selling a, a sweatshirt, we want to look at like, what did you pay for that raw product? versus what you sold for it. And it can be kind of hard to track that sometimes. So to get to that number, we start with inventory. How much did you have in products to start the year? So you had, um, you know, $4,000 worth of product on your shelf when the year started. What did you buy in those products? Like I'll say raw products throughout the year. Maybe you bought $6,000 worth. So we're up to 10. And then you, you know, we're selling things all year long. So we do the inventory again at the end of the year. And if you're back down to 4,000 again, well, then we know 6,000 was what you spent. Quote, you know, it's gone throughout the year to generate income for yourself. So you want to look at starting inventory, um, add in anything you bought for the year and then what's left over to get to what was that cost for items. Now, it never works out even. Typically, it's we start the year with four Maybe we bought 10 and we had a slow year. So now we have 12 left over or, mm-hmm. or reverse. It's just kind of getting down to what that cost is. Um, it also could be cost of labor. So if you are a um, labor heavy business, like a uh, construction company, maybe you're going to have materials and supplies. You know, you've got to buy the lumber, the siding, but you also may have subcontractors that really were a direct expense. Like you had to hire someone to do the plumbing. You got paid for it, but that was a direct cost of doing that business that we um, want to make sure we subtract from that number. Mm-hmm. Um, I and think there is a lot of confusion. It maybe doesn't always go in the right spot, but 
um, you're still going to get to the same net number in the end, but it, it just helps track that ratio. Yeah. And then there's, I mean, on the form itself, there's other income that maybe was from federal and state gasoline or fuel tax credits or refunds or something like that. And that could be a whole session in and of itself. So we're not even going to go there today. But that yeah, yeah. if we take the the receipts of income, like you said, we subtract off any returns or allowances, we subtract off the cost of goods sold. That's what's going to give us the basically the gross profit, uh, ultimately, and in most cases, the gross income. So then we get into the expenses side of things. And expenses, in my mind, are broken into two categories. There's sort of the return or the, the direct expenses for the business. And then if you are somebody who works from home, you know, you have a home office, and we are not actually going to get into that form today only because, again, that could be a session in and of itself and maybe one that we could dive into in the future, Kate. Mm-hmm. Because if you are a home-based business or you work from home, certainly during COVID, that was we saw more and more people actually give up their office and become home-based businesses. There's a whole separate form that we would have you provide us information on that would be considered indirect expenses. And some of those may be eligible for uh, reduction of your you know, net, net profit or loss. But there's pros and cons to that, too. So, again, just want to throw that out there that that's a whole separate aspect that we're really not going to talk about today, but it's something that should be investigated if you would qualify for that. So thinking about expenses and talking very high level here again, just trying to get people's brains thinking, because sometimes I feel like people do leave things on the table that they don't realize could be something that um, could be a deduction. Um, Advertising is one of those. Um, So let's talk just a few moments about advertising. It's the typical advertising stuff. You placed an ad in a newspaper, you attended an event where you were the sponsor or something like that. Um, you, pr- you bought supplies to market your business. Right. But there's also little things like picking, like one thing that I always look at are what are some of the organizations that I have near and dear to my heart that I want the business to sponsor and is good for the business too. That could be marketing, right? That could Perfect. be advertising. Yeah. And your word right there, sponsor is a key word. So a lot of times I'll have someone that, you know, we're doing some tax consulting and they have a business. And I'm like, well, I really would like to donate to this organization. You actually cannot deduct donations as a business. You, you it, it becomes a like a personal draw. You could add it to your personal itemized deductions. A lot of people, though, can't itemize and take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. So but if you are able to arrange it as a sponsorship of a program that that counts as advertising mm-hmm. for your business. Something else that I hear a lot I wanted to add on are are people that say, well, I gave product somewhere. I donated product. How do I deduct that? And there's actually, again, not a separate deduction, but back up to that cost of gold, cost of goods sold discussion. If you bought a product and at the end of the year, it's subtracted from your inventory, it is actually getting deducted um, from that overall number. So if you're donating a product to an organization, again, sponsoring um, an event, I would think of like gift baskets that you get an ad for for a whatever events happening. Um, it gets a deduction that way, but it's actually not a separate line item deduction in that regard. Good point. Good point. And then another one that we'll spend just a few extra moments on, the car and truck expenses. I always feel like that's the bane of my existence during tax season. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably, I think, the most misunderstood. Uh, just thinking of my, you know, my years and like right in heavy tax preparation and working with business owners and now working a lot of tax planning, um, and, and some CPAs just don't do a lot of planning or, or have time for the questions. So we get a lot of these throughout the year. 
uh, yeah, understanding how you can d- deduct expenses for your vehicles. So there's two different ways you can do it. The first way is the most simple way, and this is the mileage deduction. So if you are going to do mileage, you have to keep a log. Sometimes people forget about this piece. You have to keep a log of mileage driven for business purposes. Uh, and this could be really any anything for your business, going to the post office, going to pick up supplies, dropping off orders, driving to conventions. As long as it's mileage driven and the purpose of your business, you can deduct that. Um, and there's a stated federal rate is actually a, a pretty nice deduction overall, the number you get for that mileage for the year. And it takes into account all the other things we're going to talk about. You could do it supposing a little depreciation on your vehicle. It's accounting for gas and parking and wear and tear and maintenance is supposed to be all covered in that expense per year. Some years it's like like 2022, they change the rate partway through the year. So we had to track miles driven January to June and July to December um, because gasoline prices were changing. They increased that a little bit. Um, so yeah, mileage is the easiest. And real brief mention, buying and selling when we get into de- to depreciation, you are supposed to kind of add a factor back in if you have a business vehicle. The other way you can do it is actually writing off direct expenses, direct vehicle expenses. So you can put a vehicle in service for your business. You just want to make sure you have really good documentation showing I bought this vehicle and I'm using it 100% for my my business. Um, in that case, you probably want to see a logo and it's you have another vehicle you're driving. You know, there's a lot of documentation to prove that you are using this as a business vehicle. Some are easier. Some are service trucks that you have to have. Um, but if it's a personal vehicle, you also could keep mileage on that. And each year say, hey, I drove 15,000 miles, 5,000 was business. So a third of my expenses get to be deducted. Um, and the cost of that vehicle over time. You then also could deduct the actual expense of gasoline, repairs, oil changes, insurance, interest on that vehicle, um, all those items that go into it. Mm-hmm. The one mm-hmm. one piece I like people to know about is when you sell that vehicle, though, you do have to reclaim any depreciation you, you, you claimed over time. So um, you may have a larger gain uh, at the end of the sale of the vehicle than you were planning on if you do it that way. And you mentioned at the beginning of that that they do have to keep a log. I personally use Mileage IQ. It's an mm-hmm. app that I have on my phone that basically tracks the miles for me. So when I hop in the car and it, it allows me to go through, like, I, you know, I take my phone with me. Most people take their phone with me wherever they go. That's It's just constantly running in the background. And so when I hop in the car, if I go to the grocery store, I just categorize it as, you know, personal. Um, But if I go to the grocery store and I'm picking up office supplies, then I categorize it as a business expense. Right. So um, it's automatic. Like it just automatically captures every time. In fact, it's funny because if I go out for a jog, it'll pick it'll pick that up. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's funny. Uh, That's quite humorous. Yeah. Yeah, I I love the apps for that reason. Like you don't have to think about it. That's right. But there. But then I print it off at the end of the year every month or however you want to do it. And there's my there's my log. Right. I don't have to write it down. I don't have to. It's not pen and paper. It's like 50 bucks a year for this app. I don't care. To me, that's like I'll spend the 50 bucks to not have to, you know, write. Remember to write that down every single time. And and you can put notes in that. Now, there's probably other ones out there. And I'm you know, I'm not endorsing mileage IQ. I'm just giving a an example of something that I use mm-hmm. um, as a, a yeah. I, that makes I think QuickBooks Self Employed has a similar feature built in. I I'm not positive, but I believe I've been told that version has something similar that pops up when you drive. I just think it makes life so much easier. So yeah, 
to track it um, all. Okay. So then moving down through the list of items, some of this stuff like commissions and fees, you know, contract labor, depletion, depreciation is a big one, right? That's another one that um, I think, you know, sometimes people don't understand the difference between depreciating something over time versus taking a 179, like immediate year depreciation. And where else it might go in the schedule. Like sometimes office, so somebody will say, I bought a desk, so I put it under office expense. Well, Mm -hmm. technically a desk should be a depreciable item because it's furniture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, where that limit is. So, and I I used the word depreciation earlier and didn't define it. So that's a a great reminder. So depreciation of an asset is when you, you purchase it, but we add it to a special schedule, depreciation schedule, and you only take a part of that each year. So- um, the simplest appreciation is straight line where it's going to divide it by whatever its life is. So the IRS has charts that determine how long they think something should be in use. Office equipment, generally five to seven years, uh, like buildings are 27 to 39, all these timetables. Um, and then depending on your method, it will take a little bit. So modern depreciation is called accelerated. So you'll take maybe 30% of it in one year and then 20 and it decreases over time. With that, uh, there's also bonus depreciation in Section 179 that you still have to add that item to your schedule, but you could take all of that expense in one year. Again, something we could spend another podcast on, just depreciation. Um, many, many sessions on that uh, with that with that asset. But determining where it falls is looking at the size of it. So years ago, um, a couple of years ago, when I started doing taxes, it really was around $100. We looked at something and if it was over that, we wanted to put it on the depreciation schedule. That they call it a, a safe arbor limit has increased. So what you can call a supply has gone up. Um, I actually, at the top of my head, don't know this year's. I think it's around five five hundred. But there's another election you can file this more like twenty five hundred that just says basically if we're buying small items, we can call them supplies. We realize they're the phrase is de minimis. They're not large enough to be a, a huge impact like that on the return. So um, again, this is something you'd want to work with your CPA or tax preparer with on the prices. I typically tell someone if it's something over $500, list it separately. And then we can look at that year's specific rules and determine how to treat it. Um, again, if it's a, a early, like I remember early on appreciating fans, like all these little things and offices, <laughs> chair, office chairs. Um, and now we're getting into like tractors and vehicles and um, you know, large storage systems, again, larger Lovely. expenses over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's so many other items. I mean, my gosh, we've been almost 25 minutes into this podcast. And I feel like we could do part two, three and four just on the expense items. But another key area that I want to make sure that we because there's things like employee benefit programs. And when you're, you know, when you're a solo, especially you have to be careful about what what falls underneath that, uh-huh. right? Because some some of that isn't deductible, you know, some and some of it is, right? So we have to be careful when you're a solo on what is actually deductible and what isn't. There's insurances right. for like your your liability insurances, you know, again, um maybe your E and O insurance would fall under there. There's your health insurance in, wouldn't, yeah. right. Right. Yeah. There's interest and oh, and mortgage. So one thing that I just wanted to mention because people um automatically assume that the more full mortgage payment is deductible and that's it's not. No, not. it's just the it's just the interest on your mortgage that's deductible. Um, so if it was business property, if you, um, you know, owned a commercial building for your business, that building itself would be on your depreciation schedule and getting deducted on its own. 
So the mortgage would kind of be double dipping if you took the payment principal plus interest. So you just deduct the interest. And then that's not on your home um, home office. As we said earlier, that's a whole different schedule that gets filed. This is on business assets. Perfect. So something to be aware of. The interest, like you said, Kate, is deductible, but the principal needs to be separated out. So when we're asking you for that information, that's another one of those things that we go back and say, well, is this just the principal side or is this... Or is this just the interest side or is this both? Okay. Um, there's legal and professional services. That's a big category for service-based businesses. I know that's one of our big line items because a lot of, you know, if it's not the team that we're paying, a lot of it is those professional services, software, um, mm-hmm. subscription services that we're paying for to give the service to the client. Okay. Office expenses, pension and profit sharing plans. Um, that's a big one. And that's one that, again, we could probably spend a whole session diving into. Uh, I do I do want to give it its due diligence on the side of, you know, making sure that that mentioning that that is an opportunity for especially solopreneurs that a lot of people yes. don't realize there's something called a solo 401k that they can deduct a much larger contribution than a SEP contribution. And that can be a huge benefit to them uh, if they have, especially if they have an unexpected profitable, you know, largely profitable year that they didn't plan for. What a great thing to have happen. Mm-hmm, yes. And, and now we can open those plans after December 31st. Well, we can fund those plans after December 31st so that, you know, there's some benefits to those that we don't want to bypass. Um, real quick, a, a, another area that I see as a quote unquote like problem area is treble and meals because there's two different kinds of categories for travels and meals. One is uh, meals while you're traveling. And then one is um, it, like the deductible side of meals, right? So maybe yes. spend just a, a few moments uh, talking about that. Yeah, this is an area that was, um, it's a high abuse area, as I'm sure you can imagine. So it is a little more scrutinized. And over the last five years or so, there's been a, a, a little more um, regulation on what is deductible, uh, including the biggest change is that entertainment is no longer a deductible expense. So you used to be able to take clients to a ball game, and you can now lower deduct the cost of the the ball game itself. So what you're getting into with travel and meals the tra- on the travel side, these are expenses traveling for a business purpose, and it needs to be a legitimate business purpose. So if you're going to a conference and your travel there is the conference, you can deduct you know everything: your airfare, your Uber, um, the the meals that you need to eat because you're away from home, hotels, conference fees, all of that travel. There is a way to still deduct travel if it's part business, part personal. Okay. Consult with your CPA or accountant before you do. Um, if you are doing that for the actual breakdown. So there are a certain ratios that are used about time traveling, time spent in business and, and how you would deduct that. I think the takeaway is no, there is a way, but ask a lot of questions and document it. Um, and then on the meal side, looking at deducting meals are again, are they for a business purpose? Are they um, for the convenience of your employer? So if you're just at work and you run out to get lunch, it's not going to count as a meal. You could pack your lunch. You could bring it with you. Um, you don't need to do that to run your business. But if you're taking clients out for a meal to discuss a situation or is a thank you, that's deductible. If you're taking team members out, that's deductible. Mm-hmm. If you have a team and you're working on a project and you pay for a meal for that team for your convenience so they don't have to take time away, you can deduct that. So, again, it's looking into the the yeah. overall um, purpose of that and deduction. keeping that, those books clean on that is really important. So, yes. you know, if your number ever gets picked and you do have some kind of audit, they're going to ask for the specifics on that. So make sure that you keep some details on some stuff like that. Um, yes. 
because we've gone a little bit longer than we normally have, which I knew was going to happen with this particular topic, because it's just so, I mean, we probably could have broken this down into six episodes in and of itself. I want to, I, I, we've talked a lot about ex, um, expenses and the total expenses from running the business. But if you are a solopreneur, like you were talking about, like it's just you basically, uh, maybe you have some employees, but you're just, you're running it as a solopreneur LLC, not being elected as a tax corp. One other thing that I always want to point out is um, the Schedule SE that goes along with the Schedule C. That is the self-employment side. You mentioned this earlier on, Kate. You actually, um, you know, kind of said something about the Social Security and Medicare side. If you are a Schedule C file filer and you have a profit, you need to you need to pay for both the employer and the employee side of Medicare and self-employment, Medicare and uh, Social Security. Mm -hmm. Yes, you got to make sure you're covering both, like you said, because you are you are the your own employee and your own employer. So that is something that when a lot of times when businesses are first starting out, they're like, oh, my tax bracket's going to be so low because, you know, my income for those first couple of years is going to be low. So I'm not going to make estimated tax payments. I say, whoa, Nellie, because (laughs) yes, your tax bracket might be very low, like your standard deduction may cover your profitability, but that does not include self-employment. You still have to pay that. You could owe zero in federal and state income taxes, but you're still potentially going to owe self-employment taxes. So yes, when don't fight us when we suggest to you that you make estimated taxes. <laughs> it is for your own benefit and sticker shock at the end of the year. Yeah. Um, something else and, I wanted to add quickly, um, just kind of getting onto the overall expenses is yeah, starting out, sometimes people ask me about what what to deduct, and I will tell them to pull a Schedule C, even if even if you have an S corp or a partnership. The types of expenses are all the same because it lists out those categories, and I think sometimes it can help to sort of define the types of categories you should be tracking. Um, and there's a lot of interpretation in tax code uh, where Hopefully. things are. There's black and there's white, and then there's kind of what does this even mean as a deduction? So that's where I say to just take a step farther and talk to an accountant or pull up the instructions if you are so inclined to really read into like what is the definition of that expense if you can. Um, And if it feels like it's something for your business, it's probably deductible. So keep track of it um, as well. And you can always ask someone. Well, Kate, this has been fun. I always love jamming with you on these kinds of topics. It's always fun to to play um, the back and forth, uh, I guess, process when, especially because people probably, when it's just me talking about this, I can just envision that they're going to be like, oh my gosh, this is going on and on and on. But it's been a joy uh, jamming with you once again on taxes. And certainly we hope that all of you listening today, today's shows have enjoyed this particular topic. If you are a small business owner and you want to know more about particular topics, please drop us a line and let us know. Certainly feel free to schedule a discovery call with Kate and I if you feel like, you know, we're a good fit for your firm and for your organization to help you. Um, remember, we don't do just taxes. We do the financial planning around your lives, which includes taxes and investment management and disability planning and long-term care planning and life insurance and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> um, and if you'd like to to share this with your funds, we sure would appreciate that. Please go out to um, iTunes and rate us if you get a moment so that more people like you can find us. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And thank you once again, Kate, for being on the show. We've really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me it. back, Amy. 
that will about do it for today's episode of Wine and Dime. You can contact Amy through the website, www.rootedpg.com, or amy at rootedpg.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at RootedPG for the latest news. And if you have any questions, comments, or topics you would like to hear about, feel free to let us know. Don't forget to rate and subscribe the show wherever you get your podcasts. And again, thank you for listening, and be sure to tune in next time.